0: Gospel. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the slaves and he asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, listen. For all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of the Lord. Thanks to
1: God. <laughs> the must-have gift for Christmas in 1816 London, I am guessing was something that had taken the city by storm. Brand new to the world, people were eager to have it. So eager that pirated versions kept popping up. Everyone wanted one. The young and the old, the professional and the laborer. Yeah, it was the kaleidoscope. According to historians, it was as much of a distraction as the iPhone is today. A person couldn't walk down the street without seeing people staring into tubes and walking into walls because they were so taken by the new invention. If you didn't own one, you could pay a penny for a peek from the person on the street who learned a living offering a look at the changing patterns. The kaleidoscope was invented by a Scotsman named Sir David Brewster who had been conducting experiments on the optical relationship between light and mirrors. And he noticed that when reflectors were inclined toward each other, they created circular patterns as the image multiplied across surfaces Scientists and mathematicians loved it. Because of the possible variations produced by a single scope, it was unprecedented. An instrument with just a few small objects inside could produce an infinite array of unique images, which is, of course, why the brain stayed engaged. Now, about 60 years after the kaleidoscope came into being, there was an American philosopher by the name of R.S. Demet, and he was fascinated by the instrument as a child. And when he was a child, he reported, he took it apart to see how the magic happened. But what he saw was hugely disappointing, he said, because inside he discovered nothing but pieces of colored glass, scraps of paper, a few pebbles, and beads. Ordinary stuff for the complex, complex beauty everybody wanted to see. Parables are like spiritual kaleidoscopes. Jesus used the regular mundane parts of life to make spiritual lessons that capture us still. His stories are so multifaceted. Every time you turn a parable around like one of Brewster's scopes, you see something different. The pieces form to make a new image, except the parable has an added dimension of being the living word as God's spirit speaks to us through them. The story we read today that Jim read for us is familiar to all of us. We may have read it many times, but I encourage you to turn the instrument of the parable to see new colors and shapes from the infinite mind of God today. I chose the passage of the prodigal son to highlight the third name of the, uh, that the prophet Isaiah gives to the king sent from God. Everlasting Father. Now remember these names that we've been talking about are not just who the newborn king will be. They are names describing already who he is. Listen again to Isaiah writing in the prophetic past tense as if this has already happened. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It is a statement of fact that Jesus is the Everlasting Father, What we want to do is think about how we know this is true as we worship the one who came as a baby and is now the risen Lord. No human can fulfill the term everlasting father. So let's break down what the name means. The word father here is an expression meaning possessor. The word everlasting, of course, means forever and eternal. So this title means Possessor of Eternity. The Messiah was going to be a child born on the earth, even though he is the father and owner of all that is eternal. I love the idea of Jesus inhabiting and possessing eternity. What do we own? Some books, a car, a TV, But Jesus possesses eternity. And Isaiah is saying when the king comes, he is going to be the physical embodiment of the everlasting father. Although we don't usually call him by this name, let's think about How we know Jesus is the everlasting father from scripture. John 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. One of my favorites from John the Baptist in John 1. This is he of whom I said... After me comes a man who has surpassed me, because he was before me. From John 8, Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. In John 10, the Father and I are one, he says. Know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father Later on in John 14, he says to Philip, If you really know me, you will know my father also. From now on, you do know him. You have seen him. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own, but the father who dwells in me does his works. From Hebrews jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever from revelation jesus himself saying it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end if jesus is not eternal he is not god If he is eternal, and we believe he is, his name is the everlasting father. Now, there are a few thoughts that I want to say before we go on, because it's challenging for us in some ways to grasp this truth. First, God is not male. While he reveals himself that way, there are also beautiful female analogies in scripture for God. God is not human. He does not have a body. He is above gender. Secondly, Jesus is not confusing his role in the Trinity. We don't have time to unpack all of this, but the scriptures I just read speak to the mystery of this. Jesus is the Son. He is also the God who creates. He is one with the Father. And I know, and you know, that some of us may struggle with the concept of Father. For those of us who had an abusive or neglectful or absent dad, It may be hard for us to identify with God in this way. God understands his pain. It is understandable. And we pray for God to continue healing that sorrow as he shows how trustworthy he is. The language around God as father is metaphorical. So we as humans can understand the care that God wants to give us. We are created in his image. Lastly, there are prodigal daughters, of course, as well as sons. All right, so let us briefly turn to the parable called the prodigal son, yet really could be titled the everlasting father. In this chapter, Jesus is talking about three things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost child. And in them, we see how people respond when something precious to them is missing. And the great joy they have when it is found. Now, these stories are told in response. Jesus is giving a defense to the religious leaders, those who are um, criticizing him for spending time with sinners. And in his oneness with God, Jesus communicates to us the qualities of the everlasting father while demonstrating them in his own life. We see four ideas that Jesus is teaching here about the nature of God and our life in him. Telling us this story in ordinary human terms that we can understand. So let's turn the kaleidoscope and look. In his example of the father, Jesus is teaching that God offers freedom. The younger son comes and asks for his inheritance early, wanting to go away far away from his family. There are a few pieces of this story that would have sounded strange to Jesus' listeners. This is one of them. He is basically telling his father he doesn't care about him. He just wants the money. In other words, drop dead, Dad. The father here is being rejected for a life of selfish pleasure, and the younger son gets what he wants. Another strange piece to the listeners in Jesus' day because it would have been indulgent and he hits the road. At no point does Jesus say that the father does anything to convince him to stay. Knowing his mind is set, the father lets him go. The God we serve values liberty. He lives in freedom. He is not bound by anyone, and he allows his creation to choose what they will do with their lives. He does not force his control on us. I've learned so much about God by being a parent myself. How much do I let freedom happen? How much do I intervene? And one of the things that we see that is so every parent understands here is the vulnerability of the father. He loves completely yet gives the son what he asks. It's a painful reality when kids rebel and go far away. How many people have we known who, instead of saying, drop dead God, have said, God is dead. There is no God. And the one who made the black holes and the giraffes and the butterflies and the great coral reef lets them go their way. They get to keep what God has given them, the blessing of their life, the unique gifts that they have. But how his heart must break when a person leaves, rejecting him for their own way, thinking they can live apart from him and be fine. In his example of the father, Jesus is teaching that God offers provision. In this story, the father is portrayed as pretty wealthy. He has an estate. He has different kinds of people who work for him. When the son has squandered everything, he begins to dream of home. Wishing he could eat the food meant for pigs where he is, he remembers his father's house. He knows there is enough of everything. And he begins to wonder how it might be to be welcomed back. He thinks of presenting himself as a hired hand, the lowest position. He could go home and there would be plenty. He is barely staying alive. The younger son is seeing his position for what it is. He is bankrupt. And we know there are a few things that feel worse than being completely alone with no one to care about us and having nothing. Out of cash with no hope, with few options. You see, now it's the son's turn to feel vulnerable, but for a different reason. Verse 17 says he came to himself. When he became desperate enough, he knew there was one place he could go where he might not be turned away, where he might find a kind of home again. Not like before, never like before as a worker. Surely his father would say yes. Jesus gives a picture here of humility as the younger son retraces his steps to place himself at the mercy of his father. What a picture of us when we are spiritually or morally bankrupt when we can no longer go on, when we have come to the end of ourselves and we dare to approach the Lord to see if there's a place again for us with him. Maybe the same place we rejected. And what will we find? Provision, bounty of everything that our soul needs to be at home again with God. The son couldn't make it on his own. We cannot make it without the everlasting father. What a gift that we can always turn back to him. In his example of the father, Jesus is teaching that God offers love. Here, we have a picture of a father who understands that their child has been on a tumultuous journey. There are no shaming words. There's no question about where the money is. The father doesn't even seem to care if the son is truly sorry. He can barely get out his rehearsed speech. In fact, there's nothing but a picture of a father running full bore to greet his child, throwing his arms around him. Compassion, love, grace. Grace. The son is willing to come home on whatever terms the father dictates. And he knows his father's household. He knows the rules. What is offered is lavish generosity and unconditional welcome. It doesn't matter where he's been. It doesn't matter what he's done. He is home safe. And in this moment, we see that the father sees beyond what has happened to the need that the son has for love. The son has already feels shame. The son already knows. He's already there. What he needs to know is that his father loves him. The word prodigal does not mean rebellious, nor does it mean one who has come home after being gone for a while. It means extravagantly wasteful. It means generous and abundant. Bring out the best robe! Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Get the choice calf. Let's party. My son is alive. With these gifts, the father is giving his child the dignity that he has lost. He is restoring his place in the family again. It is not the son who is the only prodigal. It is the father whose love gives and gives and gives. This is such an accurate description of the God that we know. That nothing we do ever can separate us from his love. This is the supernatural kind of love that we long for, that we need every day. There is one who can give us that kind of love. No matter how far you have gone from God, he will run to you. Full bore with his arms open wide, so glad to see you. Lavishing you with his love erasing your shame and your guilt. Imagine that we serve a God who doesn't treat us according to what we deserve. Thank the Lord. Can I get an amen for that? Nor does he treat us by our own standards, which are low and petty and full of fear. We have a God who restores us to full privilege just by coming home. We are equal again to those who stayed home the whole time. Hard to believe, but it is true. Lastly, in his example of the father, Jesus is teaching that God offers relationship. The older son comes in from the fields and is incensed when he finds the reason for the celebration. We feel the sting of his reaction and understand his feelings He is resentful that he has never gotten anything, but this actually is not true. Just because someone says something about their narrative doesn't mean that it's correct. In verse 12, it says the father divided the property between the two sons, so he has already been given his portion. But beyond that, what we see is how the father longs to be close to both of his sons. He goes outside to ask his eldest to please come in and celebrate the brother's homecoming. He is alive, he's found. The father is setting the tone, which is what good parents do. One is not favored over the other. He's trying to help the older child find harmony with the, his brother. He appeals to the truth that he and this son have a special bond. They are always together. That's not broken. That's not changed. Because the younger son is returning. And we realize that we can be in God's house every Sunday and be just as lost as the person out there who has rejected him. As those who live in close relationship with the Lord, we have to always remember that we are never better than anyone who is far from him. Such a good reminder how the church can become an exclusive club where we stop caring about the lost or wanting them to come in. Jesus' message for the religious leaders of his time and for the church today is that we need to go out with him to welcome the fellow sinner home. The eternal nature of God is to do everything possible to watch for those who are on the path to go help them back. Rejoice with them as they fall into God's arms. This is the good news that we sing about at Christmas This is the good news that the angel proclaimed to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. So let us continue to seek out those who are lost with the Lord's help and bring them home. And when we reject God's love for any reason, may we rejoice in the grace that we always find. We think about Jesus telling parables. So that we can know about God. Yet God sent Jesus because Jesus himself is the message to us. He is the word at the beginning. And everything that we know about the Father, provision and freedom and relationship and love, was made more evident in Jesus' coming. That makes Jesus himself the best kaleidoscope we have. He made himself an ordinary person so that we could see brand new, infinite facets about the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And one day, we will see him face to face. And all of the pieces will fall into place into a dazzling, glorious reality. Until then, the calendar turns another year. And we look into the scope of Advent to turn over the colors, and to hopefully understand Christ and ourselves in a new way. Christ is our everlasting Father. May we be awed by the life and the hope that he offers. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.